we're going to dedicate today's learning in the merit of the speedy recovery of our dear friend Avraham Ben Feder. He's been hospitalized with a procedure, and we hope that he has a swift and speedy and total and complete recovery, Avraham Ben Feder. We're up to chapter 4, Mishnah 4. Rabbi Levitas Ish Yavne Omer. Rabbi Levitas, the man of Yavne, says, Me'od, me'od, havishval ruach. Very, very much. You should be humble in spirit. Shetikvas enosh rima. For the destiny, for the anticipated end of man is worms. We're all going to end up be swallowed by the worms. How can we possibly have haughtiness? How can we possibly think of ourselves as being very lofty? How can we have arrogance? After all, the destiny of all mortal men is worms. So let's uh, parse out this Mishnah. I want to point out that Rabbi Levitas, the man of Yavne, he appears no other times in the Mishnah. He appears no times in the Talmud. His only citations in Mishnayat and Talmudic era literature, besides for this Mishnah, is two statements that appear in the Pirte de Belezer. One of them, he's talking about how nice it is to have gray hair, how gray hair is like a crown, because it shows wisdom, I guess. And his other teaching is uh, he notices that when Noah goes into the ark, the men and the women are separated, whereas when they come out of the ark, the men are together with their wives, and he's, you know, he draws out from that that during the duration of their time in the ark, they were not allowed to be with their spouses because the world's suffering and therefore it's not appropriate to un- under, under those circumstances, in those conditions, in that kind of world, to, uh, to have marital relations. Those are the only two teachings that he appears in, in the Talmud. And then he has this very, very central teaching in, in, in Pertri Avos about the importance, about the primary paramount importance to have humility. And it's also I want to note that he uses strange, strange verbiage here. If the mission told us you should be very careful to be humble, like that would be obviously noteworthy. And the mission tells us to be very careful to be humble. Here it doesn't say be very careful. Be very, very careful to be humble. It's, it's obviously going over the top about humility. And that's why this is one of the central sources about the paramount importance of humility. So we don't know much about Rabbi Levitas, the man of Yavne. Obviously, we know that he lived in Yavne. Yavne, of course, is where the rabbis coalesced after Jerusalem. The temple's destroyed. The center of Torah scholarship moves to the city of Yavne, more the coastal area of the land of Israel. So he was obviously one of the sages of Yavne, and he was selected for reasons maybe that uh, we should ponder, but he was selected to convey the critical importance of humility. Now, there's a very famous essay by the Rambam in his comment on this Mishnah about the importance of humility. Normally, the Rambam in his commentary is, is very uh, is very terse, is, is very pithy, and he's a very long essay. Uh, again, obviously, because there's something very unique being conveyed here about the importance of humility, very long essay. I want to go through this essay because he conveys a very powerful idea. So first of all, what is humility? So typically we think of 
character, good and bad character, as being, you know, the, there's polar opposites. You have the really bad character on one side, and they have the really good character on the other side. The Rambam has a, a famous approach towards all of character, is that there's the, the golden middle road. You should always strive to be the middle road, not too much like this, not too much like that. Find the happy medium at the midpoint between both extremes. And that's the, the Ramam throughout his writings on character. He always uses this same formula that you have one extreme and that's too much to that extreme. And then you have your other extreme and that's too much to that to the other extreme. You have to find the midpoint between those two, and that is the golden path in the middle. That's the Rambam's uh, formula. And the way to move, the way to pivot across that spectrum is that, you know, if you're to the right of the spectrum and you want to move to the middle, you got to go all the way to the left of the spectrum and, you know, swing completely the opposite direction until you're in the middle, then you stop. That's his, that's his idea, that when you pull to one extreme versus the other extreme, you act in a way that is towards the extreme in which the, you know, the direction that you want to go and you go to the complete opposite extreme, it's going to accelerate your movement, you know, down the spectrum towards the middle. Once you get to the middle, that's the sweet spot. That's how the Ramam understands all of character, that uh, every character has a good and a bad, but really the sweet spot is right in the middle, and then the you know there's bad in one extreme and bad in the other extreme, and and really the happy medium is that with the where, where the proper behavior, it's right in the middle. And the realm tells us that there's only one place where we don't want the middle. We actually want one of the extremes, and that is with respect to humility. There's only one character amongst all the characteristics. That because one side is so bad, it's so repugnant in the eyes of God, that the proper path for the pious, which is leaving the door open for us, you know, simpletons, but the proper path for the pious, and of course our book, Perky Avos, is the guide to be, for piety, not just the guide to be righteous. It's like advanced righteousness. It's piety. The proper place along that spectrum for the pious is all the way on the opposite extreme. And that is with respect to humility versus arrogance. And he tells us that the humility is what he calls anav. The Hebrew word is anava or anav. And that is, that's the medium. You have the gross arrogance on extreme A and then you have in the middle, it's humility. And then all the way at the extreme is what is described in this Mishnah. That you should strive exceedingly to be low in spirit. To be completely humble beyond normal humility, not in the middle, all the way to the extreme. And this is the one exception to the golden rule. The golden rule that you have to always find the happy medium in the middle, that doesn't apply here, at least for the pious. The pious should strive to go to the complete opposite extreme to be completely humbled and low in spirit and not have any feelings of, of, of pride, to not have any feelings of, of haughtiness at all, not even a small scintilla of that, to be completely distant yourself from all arrogance and haughtiness and what's called in Hebrew, ga'ava, the idea of that you being, you know, superior to others, etc. And he brings a wild story 
that uh, every time I read it, it's such a clever story, it's such a crazy story. It's such a story that does not fit into, uh, you know, our Weltanschauen, our world. But it's interesting. Some of the other commentaries also bring the same story. And it's a, it's a story that we're going to have a very hard time connecting with. But I think it does convey his point uh, very strongly. He says he found a book, one of the books that talks about character. And one of the great pious people was asked the following question. Which day in your life were you happiest from all the days of your life? What was the peak happiness of your life? And he responded that he was traveling on a boat, on a ship, and his place, means his seat that he had on the ship, was the lowest place. It wasn't even the third class. They put him in the cargo, together with all the cargo, amongst all the boxes and all the clothing. They put him with the cargo. They put him in with the cattle, the cattle car. And the other passengers on the ship, they were merchants and they were wealthy. And this pious person is saying, I, w- I was sitting quietly in my place, minding my own business. And one of the people, one of the fellow passengers on the ship, had to go to the bathroom. So he went to the cattle car and he looked at me with such contempt and disdain. I was so low in his eyes that he revealed his genitalia and started urinating on me. And I was so stunned by his brazenness and I promised to God that I didn't feel bad for a second and I didn't have any awakening of 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 any sort of revenge or strength nothing it didn't mean anything to me and I was so happy a tremendous happiness that I finally arrived at the point that it didn't bother me when I was being ashamed in this terrible way and I didn't feel at all bad about this and concludes the Rambam, there's no doubt that this is the example of what it means to go to the end, the opposite extreme of someone being low in spirit, to be so, so, so distant from the pride and the arrogance. That's the dangerous uh, the, the, the dangerous side uh, of the character you want to avoid. We read the story and we say, uh, not for me. <laughs> this is maybe a little bit too much for me. And the Ramam, in his other writings, he notes that this is the instruction for the pious. Pious is people who already do everything perfectly. But they want to go above and beyond the call of duty, what's called the chassidim. There's the tzaddik, which is the righteous, and then there's the pious, which is the chassid. There's still other levels as well. You want to get the prophecy, etc. You got to go further than that. You have to become what's called a kadosh, someone who's holy. These are the kind of the various levels. You know, righteousness, and then piety, and then holiness. The Ram tells us is that for, for people who only want to strive to be righteousness, to just do everything correctly, which to us is like, oh my goodness, is there someone who really could do that in the whole world? To be completely righteous? To be, to be an actual tzaddik? That's like, whoa, what a level. Here it's talking about someone who has that in the bank already. That, that is already accomplished. For someone who has that and wants to, wants to pivot to the next step, well then, you move on to the pursuit of piety, and then you don't just say a oh, humility, that, that middle road is enough for me. That's just for the tzaddik. For the chassid, for the pious one, can I move to the opposite extreme? And says, this is, this is the story of what that looks like. So I think we have to acknowledge that 
probably this level of humility, of lowness in spirit, probably not for us, at least, not for me, shall I say. Maybe for y'all, it's different. I don't know. You guys are better than me. But it's it's advanced. That said, using the Rambam's formula that there's a spectrum and everyone falls someplace you know, along this spectrum in every one of the characters, but with respect to humility versus arrogance, the principle of humility that we can move, you know, we could pivot, we could move our degree along this spectrum and become more humble, more closer to that medium, that it would still apply to us regardless. Maybe the idea of be very, very, very low in spirit, that's obviously maybe not for us. I would suggest it's not for us, not yet at least, but still... Humility is still so critical as we shall see throughout the rest of, of, uh, of the sources that we're going to talk about. And, uh, and therefore, I think it's still relevant for us, but yet, but we're being described here as something which is the absolute extreme for the, for the pious. And the Ramam says, you know what? Once we're talking about this subject, I want to add many more sources because the Talmud is replete with sources about the importance of humility. And how terrible it is to be arrogant. And therefore, I'm going to go through some of the sources. So he begins with the Talmud that tells us that God is humble. Now, of course, that should right away raise red flags. Because theologically, we say that God can't, can't have any character. You know, because the, the, the character is only the behavior of God, not the essence of God. Because the essence of God is one. Okay, so that's a good question, but 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 still, there is this idea that God is acting with humility, and the Talmud tells us that every time it talks about the greatness of God, it juxtaposes that with the humility of God, meaning that when it talks about God is great, it says right afterwards, well, he takes care of the poor, he takes care of the widow, he is beloved to the to the orphan. And that's the idea that even the small people, the little people, the less fortunate, less privileged people, those are the ones that God cares about. And the and the Talmud tells us that that that, that theme appears both in the Torah and in the prophets and in the writings. So the three parts of the Tanakh of the Jewish Bible to emphasize the fact that really it's a it's a constant theme strung throughout all of Jewish literature that God's like that. And then he talks about Moses. Moses was heralded by his humility. There's no one as humble as he. Of course, Moses is the greatest of all men and the greatest of the wise ones and the greatest of the prophets and the one, of course, who was able to go negotiate with the angels and extract the Torah from heaven, give it to us. And the fact that he is complimented by that and his hallmark is his humility that shows us how central, how important humility is. And as an aside, Talmud makes it clear that humility is the characteristic that unlocks Torah. For example, Mount Sinai, Talmud tells us, Mount Sinai was a relatively low mountain compared to the other mountains. You would say, well, maybe God should have brought us to Mount Everest. Ain't that a more fitting mountain to give the Torah on? Isn't it more impressive? Mount Sinai, it's almost like Mount Sinai. It's not that tall. Yet, it's conveying this idea that it's not 
the haughty, the lofty that are receptacles of Torah. It's the lowly. It's the humble. Moses is the most humble. He has the most Torah. Says the Talmud, why is the Torah compared to water? And in fact, there is a motif throughout Jewish literature about all the things that Torah is compared to. And those are all little insights into what Torah is about and how to acquire Torah. So why is Torah compared to water? Just like water always rushes to the lowest point, water will always collect at the lowest point, so too Torah is going to rush to the one who makes himself the lowest. The one who's humble is the one who unlocks Torah. Moses and Aaron, of course they're a team, what do they say? Vanachnuma, what are we? What does Abraham say? Vanochi, Afar, Vaefer. All I am is dust and ashes. What does King David say? Anitolat, Veloish. I'm a worm, I'm not a man. Then the great giants of our history, they all share this characteristic of really viewing themselves as being nothing. A worm, not a man, I'm nothing. I'm dust and ashes, I'm insignificant. And we see again the theme that to the degree of someone's greatness, that's the degree of their humility. And he goes on to list other sources that talk about how important it is to be humble and how dangerous it is to have the haughtiness of character. He quotes the sages that tell us that someone who has haughtiness of character is as if they do idolatry. Because after all, what's idolatry? Rejection of God. What is haughtiness? Rejection of God. It's failing to acknowledge that God gave you all those gifts. It's failing to acknowledge the fact that you yourself are a creation of God and a creation who doesn't ultimately have that continuity, doesn't have that creator component, really doesn't deserve to have any pride. So when someone does have pride, when someone does have arrogance, when someone is haughty, it's equivalent as a Talmud to someone worshipping idolatry and someone rejecting God completely. Talmud goes on to say, someone who's haughty, it's as if they've done the most severe sins. When someone gets haughty, the verse, uh, the Talmud says, it's, it's appropriate, we should really kill him. They're that bad, they're that corrupt. Someone who is haughty, we should uproot them like an Asherah tree. An Asherah tree is one of the central components of the of the uh, pagan infrastructure. They had uh, altars and platforms and trees. And you read Deuteronomy, Moshe's warning the Jewish people, you get to Israel, you got to uproot those stuff, dangerous trees, you got to shatter their altars and destroy their platforms because these things are very dangerous. And someone who exhibits this gaiva, this pride, this arrogance, this haughtiness, well, they themselves are parading as an idol, and therefore you should uproot them like that tree. And then it says quite scarily that someone who is haughty in this way, their dust does not awaken for the resurrection of the dead, meaning they have no they have no path towards eternity. And there's many, many more sources. He brings them all to, again to show how this is really different from all of the characteristics that it's so dangerous it's so scary. He's compared to leprosy. And in order to, and this is how he concludes his essay, in order 
to strengthen our resolve against this terrible and accursed sin of arrogance and, and, and uh, haughtiness? It says with this tone, me'od, me'od, very, very careful to be humble and to be low in spirit. Because again, what's your destiny? Your destiny is worms and maggots. How can you really have any pride? That's the essay of the Rambam. Now, Rabbeinu Yonah, he adds another thing. He says that why specifically is this character trait? Why is it so bad? Why is it so reviled? Do we have to go to the opposite extreme? Because the majority of the sins of the Torah are a byproduct of arrogance and haughtiness. This is an astonishing statement. You look at the mitzvahs in the Torah and the sins of the Torah, very diverse behaviors that the Torah tells us to avoid. At their root, we're told over here by Rabbi at their root, they can all be traced, or most of them can be traced back to this feeling of superiority, of of self-value or self-pride that is uh, what uh, our sages here are rejecting. And he quotes the verse that uh, your heart will get exalted, you'll forget God, and you'll do all the sins. It's an interesting idea that people who sin, that sin is not an isolated, isolated sins. Those are all reflections of their character, and particularly the character of Gaiva, particularly the character of haughtiness and, uh, and arrogance, that is what leads to sin. And the obvious question is why? Can someone just be lustful? Can someone just be desirous of sin? Can someone lose the battle to the Yetzirah? Can someone have other things that are propelling them to sin? Why is the catalyst here of the majority of sins, the catalyst is the character of haughtiness? So maybe there's multiple answers to that question. But I saw that my grandfather, he wrote an idea, quoting from one of the other sages, that... The, the Talmud tells us that at a certain juncture in a child's development, they get a Yetzahara, evil inclination. Talmud tells us that for the duration of the existence of a child in utero, from a zygote to an embryo to a fetus, there's no Yetzahara. There's no desire for sin. Whereas once a child's born, there is a desire for sin. Because that's when the Yetzahara arrives. Why does the Yetzirah arrive only at birth? It's an interesting question. So he quotes the Maharal. Maharal says that the Yetzirah, the desire for sin, the inclination to sin, that lust that we talked about, to follow sin, to pursue sin, to be desirous of sin, that only cleaves to something that is complete. A child in utero, they're developing. They're not ready. They're still being brought out to be something which is which is done. They're not ready. Right? They're they're in the oven. They're they're still cooking. And therefore, it's it's a it's a work in progress. A work in progress. That's not the domain of the Yetzirah. The domain of the Yetzirah is only when it's a finished product. It's been completed. Child is now completed, ready to go. They're ready to see the big bad world. Oh, you think you're ready? Aha. Uh-huh. 
here comes the Yetzirah that latches on. And that, of course, appears in the child, but in our life as well. If we view ourselves, we're a work in progress. We're, we have that growth mindset that, you know, we're, we're on the construction. We're still working. We're not complete. We're not a finished product. We still have a lot of, a long way to go to achieve perfection. Well, something like that, it's still under prod. You know, the, the Yetzirah doesn't come. It's like the, you know, the evil tax man. It's when it's still a construction site, you know, you can't come and give me taxes yet. It's, uh, maybe you could. I don't know. The taxes are pervasive, but, the idea is, is it's not complete yet. When something's under construction, Yetzirah says, I don't really have a place to latch on. Whereas when someone's like, look at me. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look at my scintillating intellect. Look at look at who I am. Look at my sterling physique. Someone like that is like, oh, I'm, I'm done. You're done? Guess who arrives? The Yetzirah. What does the Yetzirah do? It motivates you to sin. And therefore, we could trace back the sins to the person having that feeling, I'm a finished product, I am ready to go. This was a total pleasure to study with you all today. My email address is rabbiwalbejima.com. If anyone wants to email me any questions, comments, feedback, or otherwise, and I'll see you all next week.